0: This show is made possible by members and donors who sign up at bestoftheleft.com and also by gotomeeting.com, green technology helping reduce the need for business travel. Now welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Progressive, The Daily Show, NPR, The Tom Hartman Program, Citizen Radio, The Colbert Report, and The Rachel Maddow Show with a bonus video clip for our iPhone app users from The Daily Show.
1: I don't often agree with Mayor Bloomberg, but I totally agree with him on the Islamic Community Center that's been proposed for just two blocks away from ground zero. While the Anti-Defamation League took the low road and bowed to the bigots, Mayor Bloomberg took the high road. We'd betray our values, he said, if we were to treat Muslims differently than anyone else. And he added, to cave to popular sentiment would be to hand a victory to the terrorists. He's right, of course, and I'm sure it wasn't the popular position for him to take. He'll catch grief for it, for sure, which is all the more reason to applaud him for it. There's so much wrong with the opposition to this community center and the mosque there. For openers, the 9-11 attackers didn't represent Islam, and the 9-11 attackers killed Muslim Americans too, remember? And above all, in the US, we proudly uphold freedom of religion. At least we used to. Look how far down the hill we've fallen.
2: Our top story tonight: my weekend, <laughs> and why it took me an hour and fifteen minutes to get a cup of coffee and a bagel on Sunday morning. I'll tell you why.
3: Dueling protests this Sunday near Ground Zero.
4: Supporters and opponents of the project are both staging rallies today. No
2: No y- Yes, excuse me, but there, there is an Etsa bagel here, so uh, <laughs> I just I understand you're both very angry. I just was wondering if I could uh, make it, my son actually loves a strudel, then I'm gonna. Uh. Of course I was a crowd shouting at a random ground zero construction worker who happened to be walking by wearing a skull cap. Emotions were high, but why was everyone so suspicious? Where is the money
5: coming from? Where are they gonna get the hundred million dollars from? We're following the money trail. Where is this money coming from? This guy has questionable ties. Here's the one that we should all really worry about.
6: Where's Iran in this?
2: Yeah, it's a a little Muslim guilt by association game. Last week we called it six degrees of people who don't eat bacon. And I held up a card, (laughs) I held up a card of people showing that you could use the same logic to actually link Fox News with dangerous Saudi money since the largest news core shareholder outside of the Murdoch family is the Saudi prince Al-Walid bin Talal. It's a, a stupid and childish game I was playing. I, wasn't, I was not suggesting that Fox News being in business with bin Talal was actually sinister. I was, I was just using their same reasoning to attack Iman Ralph. But this morning... <laughs> Fox News got more specific about the real danger posed by the mosque's funding.
5: The Kingdom Foundation, which has
6: been a funder of Imam Rauf in the past. The Kingdom Foundation, so you know, is this Saudi
5: organization headed up by the guy who tried to give Rudy Giuliani $10 million after 9 11 that was sent back. He funds radical madrasas all over the world. And he funds his Imam.
2: The money might be coming from this evil. Kingdom Foundation, run by a Wahhabist, 9/11 sympathizing, American hating. No, 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 no. That's (laughs) no, that's that's Rupert Murdoch's partner in in News Show me the dangerous money guy behind Imam Ralph's Ground Zero terror mosque. That's there we go. No, no, that's you're you're not changing the picture. You're you're. No! Why is the terror? funder shaking hands. Why? Why is the terror funder shaking hands with a two-legged basset hound? Wait, that's Rupert Murdoch! The owner of Fox News. The terror funder is Rupert Murdoch's news core partner. No! 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 We're not, gonna, we're not gonna follow me around we're not gonna <laughs> no no I guess everyone fainted in the control room <laughs> that's right the guy they're painting as a sinister money force owns part of Fox News. Let, let's do as Fox News commands and follow the money <laughs> this is the proposed terror mosque we know that it's a terror mosque because the money may be coming from a bad guy who definitely owns part of Fox News. (laughs) Now we know that he's a bad guy because we just heard it on Fox News. (laughs) And by hearing it on Fox News, watching Fox News, I'm increasing their viewership and their advertising rates go up. Now, part of that money goes to the bad guy we learned about on Fox because he's their part owner, Prince Al-Waleed bin Talal, allowing him then to make it rain, so to speak, on the terror mosque. <laughs> My point is this: if we want to cut off funding to the terror mosque, we must, together as a nation, <laughs> stop watching Fox. <laughs> it's the only. It's the only way to cut off the revenue stream to these bad dudes. Now here's the, most, here's the most curious part about this entire report.
6: The Kingdom Foundation, so you know, is this Saudi organization
5: headed up by the guy who tried to give Rudy Giuliani $10 million after 9-11 that was sent back. Right. He, he funds radical madrasas all over the world. And he oh, funds great. his EMA.
2: Fox tells us the terrible thing about this Kingdom Foundation is where they fund it. It's a very bad guy, but they never mentioned this fella's name and they never showed this fella's picture and they certainly never mentioned that the fellow they're talking about is part owner of their company. (laughs) Did the gang at Fox and Friends genuinely not know the head of the Kingdom Foundation's name and the fact that he is one of their part owners, or were they purposely covering it up because it did not help their fear-driven narrative for more, we're joined by Senior Media Analyst John Oliver and Wyatt Sinak. Thank you, mm-hmm. gentlemen, for joining us. Really Thank you.
7: Thank you, John. Thanks very much. John, do you know what? I'm going to go with they didn't know. Remember, things are hectic on the morning show. Plus, Gretchen isn't there, and she's the only one who knows how to use Google. Uh, also, it was probably a Hooters Freedom Monday. I just think at the end of the day, they didn't know
2: so 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 you're
6: exactly i'm with stupid all right <laughs> why nobody's that stupid they're deliberately hiding the truth if al-waleed wasn't part owner of fox news they'd have gone to town demonizing this guy they would have said his full name over and over again al-waleed bin talal al Walid bin talal and look at these villainous pictures you don't even need to doctor them <laughs> He already looks like he's about to feed Timothy Dalton to his white tiger. <laughs> Fox wants to allude to Al Walid, but doesn't want viewers looking the guy up and learning about their own
2: ties to him. But then, Wyatt, why mention this guy at all? Why get into the money trail of this cultural center if it leads right back to Fox? Uh, I'll, I'll take this one. Because they're stupid, John.
7: (laughs) Staggeringly, achingly, almost inspiringly stupid. So let's look at the evidence here.
5: China is not too far away, and it's a great big uh, country that it needs a whole bunch of stuff. When I first saw this
1: logo, I wasn't really thinking this, but upon further review, perhaps I should have been, and that is, if you look at the Nuclear Mm -hmm. Security Summit logo, what does that have in common
3: with all those other flags there I
5: would just wanted to see how much of an insult it was to be called an ignoramus since I didn't know what it meant I just googled it Uh, for all of you out there who don't know what ignoramus is like it can't be good it's an ignorant lawyer let's let's break that down
7: she didn't know what ignoramus meant so she looked it up and she still got it wrong Even if they did know Al-Waleed's ties to News Corp, the odds of getting them to mention it on the program would be random at best. You do know, they don't even have a teleprompter at Fox News. It's just a man jangling his keys above the camera. (laughs)
6: Look, I'll give you Kilmeade and Ducey, but do you know who Dan Senor and Dana Perino used to work for? George W. Bush. And do you know who George W. Bush used to hang with? Prince al bin Talal, bum bum bum, that's some evil shit. It's a level of knowing obfuscation that can only come from having a heart of pure evil. No, 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 Guys, th- th-
2: this is obviously a very polarizing debate. There's lots of contradictory evidence. Is-, is there a chance there is perhaps a third, less explosive explanation, something else? Oh, no, 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 no possibly... absolutely not.
7: A- no. Absolutely not, John. These are the only two possible explanations because If they're not as stupid as I believe them to be,
6: they are really f***ing evil. And if they're not as evil as I think they are, they are stupid. Mm -hmm. We're talking potatoes with mouths. no, 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 no. Not
7: even potatoes, white. A potato can still power a digital clock, so... Oh, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Rocks. Yeah. You're talking about rocks with mouths. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, mouths. Mouths. I'm glad you two could come rocks, to some
2: agreement. Thank with you very mouse. much. John
1: Oliver,
8: I'm not aware really of too many things. I know what I know if you know what
0: I mean. If you're like most Americans, then the politics of the last 30 years has driven you to the point where you're totally ready to pack up and move to Canada. Or maybe New Zealand, because it looked beautiful in Lord of the Rings. In any case, you're totally serious about it this time, and you're going. Well, you're in luck, because with GoToMeeting, you can work from anywhere and still meet with clients and coworkers online while sharing your screen with one or many people all at once. Visit GoToMeeting.com and use the promo code PODCAST for a 45-day free trial. You could be settled in your new Vancouver home and join Socialized Medicine before you had to pay a dime. That's go2meeting. gotomeeting.com promo code PODCAST for this special 45-day free trial.
9: First images of the much-debated Islamic Cultural Center planned for Lower Manhattan show a gleaming white tower wrapped in a fine-spun lattice of concrete. The team behind the architectural rendering say they want to lend some insight into how they're envisioning the project. Of course, that project has been the subject of a nationwide debate, especially among those who say the Islamic institution is planned too close to ground zero. We turn to Sharif al-Gamal. He's the main developer of that Islamic cultural center known as Park 51. He joins us from New York. Mr. Gamal, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, You've released the first architectural renderings of the Park 51 project. What are you hoping to convey?
1: Well, the plans that we shared with the public were preliminary thoughts and ideas that we uh, would like to incorporate in the product of, of, uh, of Park 51. Because of the national interest in the project, we felt that we should try to really educate people about what this project is all about. And, and a picture speaks a thousand words, as they say.
9: What's going to be in there? I even said this on the air myself. At one point, we referred to it as a mosque. And, of course, it's an Islamic center with a great many
1: activities in there. Right. Um, well, there there's going to be a 9-11 memorial. Um, there is also going to be an athletic facility, you know, a gym. Uh, it's going to be a very uh, uh, ambitious project that's going to have almost uh, 120,000 square feet um, all that we're looking to do is is provide a much-needed community center in Lower Manhattan. Not a lot of people understand Lower Manhattan below Canal Street is the fastest-growing residential neighborhood, I think, in New York State. I like to say that there's more strollers than briefcases, and there are not enough facilities to cater to those
9: residents. So, so and then... Um, sorry if this sounds a little homey, but in the, in the health center. So instead of, um, you might have a Turkish-style bath in the locker room as opposed to a schwitz, but it's, it's basically the same idea.
1: Absolutely. I mean, uh, you're talking to a guy who loves to schwitz and, and uh, uh, you know, in New York there's this institution called the Russian Bath House, yeah. and I am a regular there. I mean, schwitzing is part of my life. Now, as I understand, you're, you're going to have to raise
9: $100 million to complete the project.
1: Yes, we are uh, uh, but bearing in mind that that's that 's a capital stack, I think it's going to be even a little bit more than that
9: with, with respect uh, Mr. Gamal, do you have any concern that uh, any of that money might have ties to countries that support terrorism?
1: We are not going to take any money from Iran. We are not going to take any money from uh, from countries or states or organizations that have un-American values. We are, God willing, going to establish a model going forward for community centers.
9: I understand you're from Brooklyn. I was born in Brooklyn, yes. Um, Mr. Gamal, may I ask, as a, a native-born American, as a, a son of Brooklyn, how have you felt over the past few weeks, all this intense scrutiny, all the debate?
1: You know, it's uh, it's been an eye-opener, and and I've really been reflecting upon it, you know, over the last seven, eight months. And if I could go back in time, I probably would have done more of a national campaign, because I did not realize that in order to do a project in lower Manhattan, that I needed the permission of the rest of the country.
9: What about those who say, of course, they have a right to build a cultural center there. But building it so close to ground zero is not sensitive. During...
1: 9-11. 9/11. I was in New York, and I was down there for two days giving water out because my city got affected. So I, I have a small little glimpse into those horrific events, and and those memories, you know, are 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 part of my fabric today. Um, and for me as an American, not to exercise my rights today, you know, we're not going to start having islam free zones if we don't exercise our rights then you start losing your rights and um, i see this as, as as an opportunity for us americans to reevaluate our values
9: shereef al Gamal, main developer of the islamic cultural center project for lower manhattan thanks so much for being with us
2: Much has been made about the West's lack of understanding of Islam, but there are elements within the Islamic world which have much to answer for as well, as we explore in our regular segment, You're Not Helping! (laughs) Brought to you by Poisonicil. Poisonicil, the medicine that kills you. (laughs) Tonight's episode, Iran, the country that has lashed out at the international community over its recent isolation. The fact that we want to have
9: be friends with all nations and cooperate with everyone is correct.
6: We are telling you, the West, that all options are on the table for you as well. Your first option is to behave like a human, dismount from your tower of arrogance, and sit like a good, polite kid to equally talk with us.
2: See? He's just asking for respect in the most dickish way possible. He's like Triumph the insult comic dictator. Nice country, for me to poop (laughs) on. Why are we isolating Iran? Is it their fraudulent elections where the majority of the Iranian people didn't vote for that guy? Was it the arresting and torturing of journalists and their own people? That doesn't seem like enough to keep a country from having nuclear weapons.
3: Now to a case that has
5: sparked outrage all over the world. The Iranian woman sentenced to death by stoning for adultery.
2: Oh, right, that! You stone women for adultery. You know, America may have its issues, but I do believe we place adultery in its proper perspective, somewhere between Iran's stoning and France's awarding of an adulterer's Medal of Valor. (laughs) You want to publicly humiliate an adulterer, Iran? There's a way to do it. It's called The Jerry Springer Show. To be fair to Iran, if it were illegal to stone people on Jerry Springer, they would probably do it. (laughs) Not that Iran is immune to the pressures of the international community.
3: Judicial authorities are now saying that a final verdict in her case has not yet been made, according to Iranian media. And there has been talk of carrying out the sentence by hanging instead of stoning.
2: Worst plea bargain ever.
3: (laughs) By the way... There was also a
2: murder connected to that adultery case. The man convicted for the murder got 10 years, but it was reduced to three years. I guess they figured since his girlfriend was gonna get stoned to death, he had suffered enough. Anyway, none of this helped the other two Iranian women recently sentenced to stonings. It comes down to this, Iran. You have a choice to make. Do you want the world to be comfortable with you having nuclear weapons, or are you going to keep stoning people? You gonna go A.D., or are you sticking with B.C.? (laughs) Because you're not allowed to be that modern and that primitive at the same time. You have to choose, they don't work together. It's the reason why you never see anyone riding a Segway with Fred Flintstone wheels.
3: National Public Radio, which was conceived during the Johnson administration as our version of the BBC, so that there could be news out there without the coloration of political opinions. It would be it would be paid for by the government, but there would be a two year lag between the time that the the executives of NPR or the chief executive of NPR was appointed and the gover- bo- uh, governing board. Uh, between the time that they the, the, of the appointment and the and the administration, I mean, there, there's all these kind of checks and balances put into it, much as there are over at the BBC, so that it could be this separate news entity. Well, that kind of got blown up when Reagan came along, and he said, ah, "Well, let's let the corporations uh, in on this thing." Uh, this was right after, or right around the time that NPR did the expose about uh, uh, ADM, Archer Daniels Midland and and uh, pointed out that this company was involved in price fixing. They ended up paying a $300 million fine, the biggest in history at that point. So anyhow, NPR has canned longtime analyst Juan Williams over his comments on Fox News that when he's on a plane with Muslims, quote, I get nervous. He said this during a discussion on Bill O'Reilly's nightly TV show. O'Reilly asked Williams if he'd been in the wrong over his appearance on The View last week when he said, Muslims killed us on 9-11, Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg walked off the set in protest. Juan Williams, he he was basically sucking up to Bill O'Reilly. He said, you know, I mean, look, Bill, I'm not a bigot. You know the kind of books I've written about civil rights and... But when I get on a plane, I got to tell you, if I see people who are Muslim garb and I think, you know, they're identifying themselves first and foremost as Muslims, I get worried. I get nervous. Okay. Right. NPR said his remarks were, quote, inconsistent with our editorial standards and practices and undermined his credibility as a news analyst with NPR. It only took them a couple of years to figure this out, right? <laughs> then this morning on MSNBC's Morning Joe, MSNBC analyst Pat Buchanan echoes this sentiment. In agreement with Joe and Mika, Buchanan says, it is not irrational to be nervous after 9-11 if you see some conspicuous Muslim fellows get in the first-class section of a plane, as I have. Given that Buchanan wasn't then fired, is it soon going to be policy at MSNBC not to have their employees fly on planes with Muslims? You know, the big, one of the big lessons of the terrorist incidents that we've had in the last couple of years in the United States, or the last couple of decades, actually, that Tim McVeigh and Muhammad Atta taught us is that it's not the conspicuously religious people you have to worry about it's not the hasidic Jews it's not the people walking around with big crosses on you know hanging around their necks it's not the orthodox you know ga- monk it's not it's not the it's not the 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 muslim women wearing headscarves or muslim men who are dressed in traditional garb those aren't the people you have to worry about. It's the folks who are blending in and looking like an average Joe like Tim McVeigh did or an average businessman like Mohammed Atta did. Come to think of it, I'm getting a little nervous about getting on planes with guys wearing suits. I mean, it's like, where does this go? This is, this is the, the amplification of insanity in the United States. What we are seeing is is good old-fashioned fear. Good old-fashioned, you know, whether it's racism, sexism, uh, religionism, uh, what's the word for that? Religious bigotry, I guess you'd call it. Whatever it is, this is it's become acceptable against Muslims. Because a small, a a minutely small fraction of people in the Muslim world are willing to commit heinous acts, they say, in the name of Islam. The vast majority of Muslims, I mean, we're talking 99 and change percent, certainly in the United States anyway, the vast majority of Muslims say, this is absolutely wrong. This is not how we are. This is not who we are. After 9/11 it was so clear. I mean Muslims were out they were horrified by what had been done by people of their religion. Just as most Christians were horrified when Dr. George Tiller was murdered and the other abortion doctors before him and when the when the when the the the, the guy who uh, who blew up who, who murdered a woman at the Atlanta Olympics. And, and, and set a bomb in a gay bar in Atlanta in the name of, in the name of Christianity. Christians were horrified by this. There's, there's no way for us to rationally say that one of the world's major religions has itself, in and of itself, right across the board, gone bad. Now, one of the things that has happened is that after 9-11, rather than calling these guys out as the criminals they were, rather than calling them out as the sociopaths they were, rather than calling them out as opposing Islam, as they did. I mean, there were, there were Islamic clerics all over the world, including in, in Iran. But in Islamic republics all around the world, there were Islamic clerics coming out and saying, these 9 11 guys don't represent us. And in fact, what they did is counter to the teachings of Muhammad and counter to the Quran. It's anti Quranic. Or Quranic, however you say that. And then it happened. Then George W. Bush invaded a country that had nothing to do with 9 11, Iraq they did have the second largest supply of oil on the planet and still do and it was the cheapest oil on the planet because it hadn't been well tapped and so you know it cost less than a dollar a barrel to pump it out whereas saudi oil is costing 11 12 13 dollars a barrel now to pump out cuz you got to suck on the straw cuz the, the 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 reservoir's half empty whereas in iraq you, they're literally still pumping they're they're hitting geysers gushers and and so George Bush attacks an Islamic country and General Boynken starts his traveling road show talking about how this is necessary because our God is bigger than, wearing his uniform as a, as a general, about how our God is bigger than their God. And George Bush uses the word crusade. And the original acronym for this thing was Operation Iraqi Liberation. That got changed five minutes after the thing got rolled out because everybody realized Operation Iraqi Liberation is O-I-L. Hey, wait a minute. Who approved that? But by going after a Muslim country that had nothing to do with 9-11 and using 9-11 as the excuse... For that matter, going after Afghanistan, I oppose the the bombing and invasion of Afghanistan. It was wrong. You had a country. It was the third poorest country on earth. And you're going to bomb them back to the Stone Age? They're already in the Stone Age. Quite literally. I mean, they they build buildings out of stones. And we're going to bomb them down to rubble. And somehow that's going to make them like us. It didn't work out that way for the Soviets. It didn't, work that, it didn't work out that way for the British. It didn't work out that way for, Alexand- for Attila the Hun. I mean, you know, it's, Afghanistan is the place where empires go to die.
4: Love of mine, someday you will die, but I'll be close behind. I'll follow you into the dark, no blinding light. Or tunnels to gates of white Just our hands clasped so tight Waiting for the hint of a spark If heaven and hell decide That they both are satisfied and illuminate the nose On their vacancy signs If there's no one beside you When your soul embarks And
10: I'll follow you into the dark. Don't want to be talking about this because it's all over the news. But we talked about the Juan Williams firing. Yes. Recently. So very in short, Juan Williams was uh, anytime you turn on Fox News and you're like, that's weird. That's a black guy. It was Juan. Right. And he. Or Clarence Thomas. Or Clarence Thomas or Michael Steele. Mm. And uh, so Juan was also on NPR. So he was this amazing acquisition for Fox News. Where they're like black and they can say NPR. Right. So it looked like he's a liberal. I mean before I knew really much about politics, when I saw NPR or a black guy, I'm like, oh, you're there for the liberal cause. And then I'm like, oh, you sound the same. Right. So anyway, so he was on NPR and he was like, you know, I'm going to be honest. When I see a Muslim person on an airplane, I get scared. And people were like, oh, you can't say that that's racist you mm. are fired and fox news hired him and it's this whole controversy
8: Surprise.
10: i know fox news is like oh my god you're openly racist you have your own show <laughs> aboard. and so uh so what ends up happening Is you remember, you know, Rick Sanchez got fired for talking about the Jews recently. Mm -hmm. Many people have Helen Thomas, Mm -hmm. one of the only honest journalists at the White House press conferences, was fired for saying something about the Jews. Tavion Nasser. Was fired for praising one of the leaders of Hezbollah, not for being in Hezbollah, but for being one of the more moderate leaders who's working to get rid of a lot of like the sexism.
9: That was an amazing example because that shows you can't even praise Muslims. And and he was
10: died. He he was dead. Right. Without your job being in danger. She's like, I'm sorry to lose this moderate leader. She was fired. And none of these people, none of these other journalists came out and started talking about free speech.
9: No. In fact, they were remarkably silent during this time.
10: Right. So now all of the journalists that were silent then are talking about, oh, well, when it's with Muslims, mm-hmm. when it's with scary Muslims, it's free speech. Right. And that's fine. So
4: and Al- it happened on Fox. Right.
10: right. So Allison and I, well, no, it happened on NPR and then he got fired from NPR.
4: Where he was on the O'Reilly Factor. Oh, when he said it originally. Yeah, gotcha, yeah. gotcha,
10: gotcha. So, then what ends up happening, Alice and I, we go to the gym. I'm not bragging. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. I, uh, I do jujitsu. Whatever. It's not a big deal. We
9: pump some iron. Yeah. It
10: doesn't matter. It's
9: real cash. Whatever. Yeah,
10: yeah. I train with George St. Pierre's Muay Thai coach. Whatever. What? Whatever. Not a big deal. He's only one of the greatest champions the UFC's ever seen. Whatever. No big deal. <laughs> anyway. We watch the news while we run. I like to call it rage running yes. because Allison and I hate running more than I hate racism. <laughs> and so we just watch the Sunday morning shows. Where we watch the news and we just angrily run and I pretend I'm chasing Joe Scarborough with right. a, a baton of some sort. <laughs> and so I'm watching the news this morning and I'm plugged in the CNN and they have a whole host of old white people. Mm. And mm, <laughs> they're, they're – sounds- Fascinating. CNN land of whitey. Their their tagline should be CNN the establishment. <laughs> and so so I'm watching it and they have a liberal and a conservative and they're talking. That sounds f- balanced. Yep. And they're talking about the Juan Williams firing and it's just just douchebag of a conservative or cunt cockhole uh, host. And the liberal goes, look, he shouldn't have said it. No matter how you guys feel. He shouldn't have said that. This is not something as a professional journalist. You just don't say that. And the host goes, yeah, but everybody thinks that when they see a Muslim, right? And the liberal goes, of course everybody thinks it. We all think it, but you're not supposed to say it. So that's their idea of fair and balance. It's like, no, no, guys – Calm down. Everyone calm down. We're still all racist. We all want to put them in camps. We but all want to... We don't actually do
9: it. You don't actually
10: say you're going to put them in camps. You you funnel Muslims through some kind of reverse underground railroad into the camps, and then once we've exterminated all of them, then we can talk about it.
9: Right. Then we'll all calm down, because there won't be any more Muslims.
10: Right. So it'll be fine. Because it's
8: just a ride, It's just a ride.
0: Hey, David Packman here, host of The David Pakman Show at davidpackman.com If you're like me, you're a regular listener of the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with Jay Tomlinson. If you like that, I invite you to check out my show, The David Pakman Show. Not only will you hear the best of the left, but you'll also hear some of the worst of the right, including some of the craziest bigots and racists around. But don't worry, I don't agree with them. Check out davidpackman.com, check out our show, continue listening to Best of the Left podcast, and even consider becoming a member of the David Pakman Show, all at davidpakman.com. Sometimes you
8: sometimes you.
5: Some people call me Islamophobic, but if Muslims aren't trying to take over America, then why have they slipped the name of their God into our Christmas carols? Nice try, Falala Allah, Allah Allah. This is the Muslim threat down. Threat number three schools. Nation, as parents, we can never be too vigilant about the forces of corruption in our schools. I'm talking to you, Annie Atkinson, candidate for student body president at Haverford Middle School. Your campaign disclosure form reveals you only receive $20 a week in allowance, yet somehow you're able to cover every inch of your posters with premium glitter. Doesn't add up. But now there's something even more sinister afoot in Cambridge, Massachusetts.
4: A rare schedule change in a local school district causing a lot of buzz here. Beginning next year, students in Cambridge will get a day off for one Muslim holiday a year.
5: This is a disaster, ladies and gentlemen. Getting a day off school is the ultimate Islamo fascist recruiting tool. I speak from experience. As a child, every Rosh Hashanah, I would briefly convert to ultra Orthodox Judaism. And. Still got it. <laughs> and I would spend the high holy day kneeling in reverence before my Atari 2600. <laughs> by Christmas, I was generally back on the Jesus train. But once our kids are tempted by Muslim holidays, they will embrace every tenet of Islam. I mean, if going on the Hajj to Mecca means missing your Spanish midterm, Asalama, sign me up. <laughs> Muslim threat number dose soup. <laughs> Folks, observant Muslims can eat only food that is halal. It's like kosher, only in no way kosher. Well, brace yourself, because right-wing blogs are reporting that Campbell's has a line of halal soups. Even our supermarkets aren't sacred. How dare they construct a tower of Islamic soup so close to ground beef? It's offensive. It's offensive. Oh, they called me crazy when I said baby carrots were trying to turn me gay. Well, now carrot soup is trying to turn me Muslim. Conservative blogger Pam Geller, who also raised the alarm against the Ground Zero mosque, called for consumers to boycott Campbell's. Now, this boycott hits me particularly hard because, as you remember, I am heavily invested in Campbell's stock, chicken and beef. It's very diversified, so instead, I am calling on Campbell's to balance their pro-Islam soups with soups that are offensive to Muslims. (laughs) From now on, instead of chicken and stars, it'll be pork and cartoons of Mohammed. (laughs) And, I mean no offense to the prophet, blessings and saltines be upon him. Well, thank goodness the rest of our grocery shelves are safe. Wrong! Because Muslim threat number one is cereal. Right-wing blogs have also discovered that the prize of the bottom of our breakfast cereal may just be jihad. Because in the United Kingdom, Kellogg's makes over 25 halal cereals. And one blog asks, are their U.S. products secretly halal? (laughs) Certainly. Some of their more high fiber offerings have declared a fatwa on my colon. (laughs) Now, I'm sure some of you out there are asking, Stephen, can accidentally eating halal food make you Muslim? Yes. (laughs) The same way drinking a Cosmo can turn you gay. (laughs) Case in point, Christmas party two years ago, I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) And if this trend continues, ladies and gentlemen, pretty soon the new slogan for tricks will be silly rabbit, tricks are for puppets of the Zionist state.
4: One of the as yet unexplained, unusual things about this year's elections in particular is the absence of macaca moments. We've been talking about this over the past few days, and as we have noted over the past few days, there have been a lot of moments this year when Republican candidates for office have said embarrassing or extreme things about race. But unlike years past, those candidates this year generally haven't suffered any negative consequences for those comments or for those actions. They certainly haven't been drummed out of politics the way that other candidates have been in years past when things like this have happened. In fact, this year, quite a few candidates who have said or done really out there, offensive things about race, have not only won their primaries, but they stand a pretty good chance of winning their general elections as well. More interesting and more important though than than any individual moments of prejudice on the campaign trail this year is the question of whether or not there's any strategic coherence here, whether this really is a sort of Southern strategy 2.0. As we've been trying to tease out this week, you know, the classic Southern strategy pioneered by the Republican Party in the 1960s and the 1970s in the South, was to purposely allow your candidates to be seen as sort of bigoted, as a means of locking up the white vote, by appearing prejudiced, You write off all the minority vote, but that's okay. The goal is to lock up the white vote, which is much bigger, hence the word minority. Uh, Writing off the minority vote is considered a small price to pay as long as you're able to keep minority turnout relatively low and as long as you're able to lock up every available majority white vote in the process. You can see the mechanics of this at work this year when you see that most of the racial incidents and comments we have seen on the campaign trail this year take, take the form of, of white candidates signaling to white voters, essentially, hey, I'm with you. I'm not with them. It's us against them.
3: What's that guy's name? It's the senator here in West Virginia. Jay Rockefeller. And he
5: just brought to Charleston yesterday, Dr. Cho,
9: or Dr. Chow. Or Dr. Chow Ming, I don't know what his name is. <laughs> Harry Reid is fighting for a program that would give preferred college tuition rates to none other than illegal aliens, using your money to pay for it, leading to a simple question. What does Harry Reid have
6: against you?
0: Mostly because I think uh, we do not have a civics literacy
6: test before people can vote in this country. People, people who could not even spell the word vote or say it in English.
0: Put a committed socialist ideologue in the White House. Name is Barack
6: Hussein Obama.
4: Yeah, bring back the literacy tests from Jim Crow. Can you believe my opponent is siding with those menacing brown people sneaking through the fence? President Obama's energy secretary, Stephen Chu? Oh, you mean Dr. Chow Main? The unavoidable signal with this stuff is, I do not stand with those people. I am not with the minority people. I am not with the minority people. I am not with them. I'm with you. You wanna know how much I'm with you? I don't even mind offending them. I'm going to go out of my way to offend them in order to signal to you, white voter, that I am with you and I am not with them. It's an appeal to to racial solidarity by white candidates speaking to white voters. We have seen it before in this country. We are now seeing it again. But the, the uglier thing that gives this kind of stuff its political punch is that you're not just making clear to the electorate that the country is divided along racial lines, that that you as a candidate stand with them, you stand with the white folks. You're also making clear that there is an active threat against them. There's a fear component here. White people aren't just separate from minorities in the country. White people need to stand together. White people need to stand together, especially around election time, because white people are in danger. White people are facing a threat. White people are threatened. We've seen that strategy at play this year in politics in terms of how dangerous Latinos are. They're coming across the border. They're coming to get your jobs. Louisiana Senator David Vitter even ran an ad showing menacing brown people coming through a fence, presumably to get to his constituents, even though Louisiana isn't on the border. Maybe he meant the the, the fence was between Louisiana and Mississippi. It does start with M. Uh, The the idea that they're coming to get you, that, that they're coming to get you stuff, That has been the rhetoric, even though illegal immigration is actually down in recent years. But still, the political potency is there, right? White people, be afraid of those brown people. They're coming to get you. It's not just brown people, of course. Americans have also been fed a steady diet of be afraid of black people, too. We have seen this on Fox News, in particular since Barack Obama was elected president. Whether it's the New Black Panther Party, two guys who braid their beard hair who nobody ever heard of before Fox News made them famous, or Acorn, which Fox News still contends secretly controls the world. We call them Trilateral Acorn. Uh, Or Shirley Sherrod or, or Van Jones. White people, be afraid of the black people. They are coming to take something from you that is rightfully yours. Beyond menacing brown and black people out to get you, though, it's worth pointing out today, because of today's news, that Fox News in particular has also focused on another target, the scary Muslims that are out to get you. That has been a Fox News specialty for a long time now.
1: If you're a 20 to 30-year-old is, uh, Islamic male,
5: even if you have no evil intentions, expect to be delayed. We have to, we have to profile.
2: It's time to have a Muslims checkpoint line in America's airports Whoa. and have Muslims be scrutinized. Yeah. You better believe it. It's you know, time. Uh,
6: There's no question there is a Muslim problem in the world. The truth is
5: that Muslims tend to be more violent than Christians. Do
6: the
3: you border. think
5: it's time for the military to have special debriefings of uh, Muslim army uh, civilian uh, officers?
1: The other day, I listed case after case of Muslim soldiers with attitude, is what I've called them over the years, who've been able to uh, infiltrate the, themselves and insinuate themselves in the armed forces, despite all sorts of warning signs about their hatred for America. <laughs>
3: Muslim Day uh, at six. Flags. I can't imagine that in 1948 they would have had Japanese Day at the water park on December 8th. Stop with the government Muslim outreach programs, okay? I'm tired of it. While the president was hosting an iftar dinner for Ramadan, by the way, my apologies. I didn't even know Ramadan was happening, uh, so I didn't get you a present. I'm sorry. Uh, But I am. I know it's late, but I'm going to put up my Ramadan tree after the program tonight. Profile Muslims between the ages of 16 and 45. That should be done
5: automatically by professionals.
6: These names, uh, Muhammad and Yusuf, don't they sound kind of familiar? We have to be able to profile. And I'm sorry, if I see two guys that look like do and Abadabadah, I'm going to pull them over and I want to find out what you're doing. If you are an 18 to 28 year old Muslim man, then you should be strip searched.
4: Fox News hosts and contributors there. Today the biggest story in news about the news is that a news analyst named Juan Williams was fired from his job at National Public Radio uh, for having said this about Muslims on Fox News.
11: When I get on a plane, I got to tell you, if I see people who are in Muslim garb and I think, you know, they're identifying themselves first and foremost as Muslims,
4: I get worried, I get nervous. The shorthand headline for what happened with Mr. Williams uh, today is um, Juan Williams fired from his job because of those comments about Muslims. Uh, To be more precise about it, to be more accurate, it should be noted that Juan Williams had two jobs, and he lost one of them. He lost his job on National Public Radio, which said that his comments were, quote, inconsistent with our editorial standards and practices. So Juan Williams is no longer working for National Public Radio. That's true. But he most certainly did not lose his job at Fox. Fox News. In fact, today, Juan Williams was given a raise at Fox News as a result of this whole thing. Quote, Fox News handed Williams a new three-year contract Thursday morning in a deal that amounts to a nearly, to nearly $2 million, a considerable bump up from his previous salary. Wow, nearly $2 million, mazel tov. Uh, Fox News Chief Executive Roger Ailes said of Mr. Williams, quote, He's an honest man whose freedom of speech is protected by Fox News on a daily basis. If you mean freedom of speech in a, in a legal sense, in a, in a constitutional sense, let's be clear here. This is not a First Amendment issue. Juan Williams has the right, every American citizen has the right, constitutionally, to say anything that he wants. All of us do. That's what the First Amendment does. The First Amendment does not guarantee you a paid job as a commentator to say what you want. Your employment as a person paid to speak is at the pleasure of your employer. And in this case, it displeased Juan Williams' employer, at least one of them, uh, for, for him to have reassured the Fox News audience that he too is afraid of Muslims on airplanes and that that's not a bigoted thing. That comment did not fly with one of the people who was paying, one of the organizations that was paying Mr. Williams to say what he thinks. And so Juan Williams lost that job. This is not a First Amendment issue. This is an issue of what your employer is okay with. And at Fox News, It is not only okay to talk about Muslims being scary on airplanes. It is expected. It is part of the agenda. It is what they are selling.
2: It's time to have a Muslim's checkpoint line in America's airports and have Muslims be scrutinized. You better believe it. It's time.
6: There's no question there is a Muslim problem in the world. If you are an 18 to 28-year-old Muslim man, then you should be strip-searched.
11: When I get on a plane, I got to tell you, if I see people who are in Muslim garb, and I think, you know, they're identifying themselves first and foremost as Muslims, I get worried. I get nervous.
4: Be afraid, America. Be afraid.
1: Spit out.
0: month, or as little as $55 a year, a little discount for you, please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com.
5: Pleasure to remind you that you're afraid of Muslims. And you're not alone, folks. Yesterday on This Week without George Stephanopoulos, Christian Amanpour asked the question, "Holy War? Should Americans fear Islam?" Evangelical preacher Franklin Graham said, "You betcha."
11: I understand what the Muslims uh, want to do in America. Uh, they want to build as many mosques cultural centers as they possibly can so they can convert as many Americans as they can to Islam.
5: Exactly, Muslims know that Americans can't resist cultural centers. We'll convert to any religion that provides aqua aquaerobics. <laughs> and Graham isn't the only one out there saying Muslims are a threat. So are Muslims.
1: We do believe as Muslims, the East and the West will one day be governed by the Sharia. Indeed, we believe that one day the flag of Islam will fly over the White House. Too late,
5: (laughs) of course, truth hurts, of course, of course, other Muslims tried to confuse us by denying that they are out to get us.
8: There are 1.5 billion Muslims in the world. It is unquestionably the most diverse, the most eclectic religion in the history of the world.
5: This concept of just using this word, they, to describe 1.5 billion people is actually the definition of bigotry. Wrong, Muslim Moraka. <laughs> the definition of bigotry is picking on Rick Sanchez. <laughs> but I'll admit. I will admit that out of 1.5 billion Muslims, a few dozen might be decent people. But how do we keep the decent ones from scaring us? Well, the solution brings us to tonight's word. It's a small-minded world. Folks, there's one group of people in America who seem always to have the answer to our problems. And that is the Imagineers at Disney. Earlier this year, Disneyland hired an intern over the phone, but then she showed up to work. Jim? Noor Abdullah thought she'd landed her dream job, but when she reported for work at the Magic Kingdom, a supervisor told Noor the hijab she wore for religious reasons didn't fit in with the official Disney look. See, Disney has a rigid dress code, which kind of makes you wonder how Winnie the Pooh slipped through without pants. Now, so. Because she wouldn't remove the hijab, Disney had no choice but to assign her to a secluded stockroom. The same one where I believe they stashed Uncle Remus and those racist crows from Dumbo. (laughs) You see, folks, when you work at Disney, you're not just an employee. You're a cast member. And you don't wear a uniform. You wear a costume. And Noor Abdullah was hired to play the part of Girl in Ticket Booth. Now, we all know that character has an elaborate backstory. She's not a Muslim, and that's it. Now, Noor didn't want the role of girl in windowless stockroom, so Disney offered her a costume change. The company offered Noor a compromise. Instead of her own head covering, she could wear a Disney approved blue scarf topped with a kind of floppy beret. And here's the official costume artist rendering. Like everything at Disney, it's magical. Not only does it cover up her hijab, now she's white. <laughs> this was not, this was not Disney's first foray into custom Muslim headgear. Earlier this year. <laughs> Earlier this year, a Muslim waitress at Disney who wanted to wear a hijab was allowed to do so if she also wore this stylin' fedora. Because Muslims may be scary, but a child's face really lights up the first time he meets a pimp. (laughs) Folks, I think Disney is on to something here. They are on to something. Throughout our history, we've always been frightened by ethnic groups until we tamed them with cartoons and costumes. I mean, the Irish were drunken apes until we came up with the Notre Dame guy, the Lucky Charms guy, and the Kennedys. Those have got to be cartoon teeth. It was the same with Native Americans, Italians, even Hispanics. So no, take it down, take it down to me! That's still too terrifying. And Muslims, you can help. Americans may fear an Islamic center, but who wouldn't love a Mickey Mosque? Then, then you'll be embraced here in America because the only way for some Americans to feel comfortable around Muslims is to imagine a world where they don't exist.
9: Jay, this is Patricia from Seattle, and I wanted to call and support you in your decision not to go out of your way to find positive stories about religion, because I think we have enough of that out there from people who want to convince us that religion is a positive influence in society. I believe it isn't. I believe it's best. It convinces people to do the right thing for the wrong reasons, like fear or personal self-interest, you know, fear of punishment from some omniscient being. Or reward I believe that I believe that people should do the right thing because they have compassion for others and love for others as they love themselves and I believe that religion has caused a lot of harm and division in the world and I appreciate that your show is honest and objective about religion and I really appreciate that so thank you
11: Hi, Jay. This is Ross. I'm calling from South Florida, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, I've been wanting to call ever since I started listening to your podcast and you started the call in line. But after I heard the last podcast, Things Will Get Better, I just had to call. I was listening to this podcast on my way to work and listening to, uh, I think his name was Josh Bell, uh, Burns. I'm sorry, Josh Burns. Listening to his experiences as a young gay man made me actually tear. Tears were flowing down my face. One of my fellow passengers saw it and was concerned and asked me if I was alright. As a gay man who had no role models and no real resources when I was growing up in rural Texas, um, I I identified with and was very moved by Joel Burns' personal story. One of your callers that day criticized the It Will Get Better campaign as cruel and telling the gay youth to suck it up. Yes, we do need to take steps to stop bullying and to educate people. But equally important, as Mr. Burns pointed out, is to give our gay and oppressed youth hope and encouragement. It will get better. It certainly did for me. Thanks for all you do, Jay. Your podcast has introduced me to progressive groups that I didn't even know existed before. I became a member of Best of the Left. Keep it up. Thanks. Bye.
8: Hello, uh, this is Max calling you from California. I've been listening to your podcast for the past, uh, I would say, like, months, two months, and uh, the one that you just did on Don't Ask, Don't Tell was especially moving um it really really brought together what i it showed me wh- why i listen to the best of the left because i i heard the the Mad owl before and i heard some of the stuff before uh but hearing it all cut together uh into that narrative really put that in perspective for me uh specifically hearing the elected official speak uh i don't remember his name but god that that moved me to tears you know what i mean that was that <laughs> uh, brought up some re- repressed Freudian shit. But anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just glad you guys are around. You'll, uh, you'll be seeing some sweet stimulus funds coming from me soon. And, uh, thanks for putting the show together. Take it easy.
0: thanks for listening everyone and thanks to everyone who called into the voicemail line if you'd like to call in and leave a comment question or activist call to action to be played on the show yourself of course the number to dial is 206-202-3410 i want to thank uh, all the new volunteers who have been writing in and kind of signing up a couple of shows back i said that i wanted to get a little bit more help from uh, from volunteers who wanted to help out the show, and that would give me more time to do uh, wonderful and amazing things to make the show better. And so, uh, I'm very excited uh, to be able to thank the people who have like you know really signed up. Uh, the odd thing, though, so now you know I, I've, I've had more than more than this number of people uh, write in. You know, uh, we're still kind of getting in the process, and and everyone's getting kind of signed up and squared away, and. Uh, You know, you showed interest, but are you going to help out eventually? You know, we'll we'll get all that settled eventually. Uh, Right now, I've got about nine solid (coughs) volunteers who are helping out, which is awesome. Uh, What's odd about them, though, is that five of them are named Matt. And uh, I don't know what that means. It has to mean something. Uh, But in the meantime, it just it it gives me a nice shorthand because I get to say things like uh, I want to thank all the volunteers. I want to thank Mike, Colette, Todd and Michael and the five mats. See how much time we just saved? Brilliant. So uh, thanks. Thanks to all of those guys uh, for signing up and for the work you're doing for the show. If you sent me an email uh, saying you wanted to volunteer and you didn't just hear your name, you probably got an email back from me saying, here are the details, uh, let me know if you're interested, and then I haven't heard back yet. So uh, let's get everybody squared away, and, uh, and I'm really excited to, to move forward and do things in a slightly different way than I've been doing for years, uh, which I think will, will open us up to the ability to do some cool new things coming in the future. Now, it is a new month. It's pretty early in November, which means that the voting over at Podcast Alley has started over again. So if you're interested in voting for something that might actually have a chance of winning this time, uh, head over to PodcastAlley.com and, of course, vote for all the progressive shows that you know and love. Uh, The Young Turks, Best of the Left, and Blast the Right are consistently in the top 10 list, and you can uh, help get us there and keep us there, help spread the word of progressive politics, and so on and so on. This has turned out to be just kind of a house cleaning uh, commentary here at the end. That's about all I have. I just want to thank a couple of members before I go. Michael R. signed up for a monthly membership back on June 5th and has stuck with the show since then. And James W. signed up for a yearly membership back on September 24th. And James went above and beyond a little bit just to help the show a little bit more. So that is hugely appreciated. James, Michael, and all the members and donors who keep the show going. I couldn't appreciate you guys any more than I already do. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it. It's, I really, really appreciate it when you guys do that. A good way to do that is by signing up and joining us on Facebook and Twitter and then spreading the word to your networks in those places. The show is at twitter.com slash bestoftheleft and facebook.com slash bestoftheleft. To get details about the show itself online while you're uh, surfing the web there, Details about this and every episode, including links to sources and music used, are always found in the show notes on the blog. So, coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 10 times a month. Thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com.
4: The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room The no
8: shadow bases the floor will no take you out any open door This is not my life It's just a fond farewell to a friend
4: It's not what I'm like It's just a fond